0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it! Alright, so we are in the middle of a series called Make Room. Uh, Last week's content was a little heavy. We talked about making room for pain. And uh, nobody, nobody wants that. <laughs> uh, we specifically talked about hearing the voice of the Lord in the midst of our pain and difficult circumstances. Because unfortunately, every person in the room is going to face difficult circumstances at one point or another. Um, there's nothing we can do to avoid it. Pain and suffering, Um and How to deal with it, honestly, probably it needs to be its own multi-week series. Um, last week was really just a scratch of the surface on the topic, but nonetheless, it can be heavy. Uh, so today we're going to shift gears, and uh, I want to read First Thessalonians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the uh, first century church in a place called Thessalonica. And so he wrote a letter, and it says, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, he says, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to talk about making room for gratitude. Um, We're headed into Thanksgiving. and I don't usually do holiday type messages, but this has just been on my heart. I've been thinking about it a while. Uh, This message concept is simple. Uh, It's probably not going to be the deepest theological mystery that you've ever heard. Um, But how many of you know sometimes it's the simplest things that are the most difficult to do? Um, Anyone else ever get worked up or when people are ungrateful to you? Nobody. Okay. You just love it. You love it when people are ungrateful. You do something for them, they're ungrateful. You're like, I love you. You're amazing. Uh, If you've been around here any length of time, you know how I have a lot of stories about getting worked up. Uh, some people question my Christianity at times, I think. Uh, most of my uh, issues take place, uh, you know well, in fast food drive Um These stories have kind of become the everyday church staple of how not to act in public. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said, follow me as I follow Christ. But Randy says, don't follow me if I'm going to drive through because you don't know what you might see. Um, Some of you are getting excited like there's a new story coming. But there's I don't have a new story for you. I'm saying all that to say, listen, customer service is important to me. Is it important to anybody else? Um, One of the things that I can't stand is an ungrateful attitude. Whether I'm spending four for four at Wendy's or $40 at Sunny's, I want the people that I'm interacting with to be grateful that I'm there. Uh, I, I would say without question, most of you would probably agree with this, uh, and I would consider myself an expert on fast food, so <laughs> this is uh, that, this is kind of kind of an authority here. I would say without question, the industry leader on gratitude is Chick-fil-A. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> um, they just all seem so happy and grateful um everything is my pleasure this my pleasure that you guys experienced that um kevin purser one of their executive guys he says we're not trying to change the world we're a fried chicken business Uh, but if we can show up in small ways every single day we believe we can have an impact on the world and what (laughs) this is a fried chicken business but he's saying look if we'll just show up do what we do be kind to people we can impact the world their service actually changed the industry uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. You know, I, I remember the first time someone at Taco Bell said to me, "My pleasure." <laughs> I felt I felt kind of violated. I was like, <laughs> I was offended. It felt so ingenuine. I was like Jimmy Fallon on. I was like, Yo, Taco Bell said, "My pleasure." Uh, it was just not good, right? The point I'm trying to make is that none of us like it when people are ungrateful toward us. But almost, almost none of us recognize it when we're ungrateful toward others. So how do we make room for gratitude? Um, by definition, making room, uh, making room specifically for something new requires the removal of, or at the very least, the reorder of something old. Right? So what do we need to remove in order to make room for gratitude? Gratitude. In other words, what person or place or thing or attitude is opposing gratitude in my own life? I think when we're trying to make room for something in our life, the strongest opposition that we face is its natural opposite. The natural opposite to the thing that we're trying to accomplish. So, for example, if I want to be more healthy physically... A healthy lifestyle requires the removal of, or at the very least, the reorder of me being sedentary, junk food, uh, fast food, exercise. I have to reorder those things in my life. Some of those things need to be removed. Some of them need to be reordered. It's like these two opposing forces competing for that space in my life. If I want to read more books, and be becoming a reader would require the removal of, or at the very least, a reorder of my time. My screen time, including television or the computer, or certainly my phone. Does anybody track your screen time on your phone? How I many of you just don't, like, I, can't, I can't even go there. Uh, I had record low screen time this week on my phone. Like one day I had an hour and 45 minutes on my phone. And maybe some of you that don't use your phone are like, that's a lot of time. It is a lot of time, but not compared to six hours. Uh, anyway, so, uh, I'm getting off track here. Um, <clears throat> You know, for some people, it's normal to spend four or five, six hours a day. But I'm just saying that in order for me to make room for other things in my life, I have to get rid of things that I had previously been doing. Um, how many were here a few weeks ago when we showed the hoarder's clip? Um, making room required in that situation a removal of all of the junk. And a couple of months ago, during our winning culture series, we talked about the joy of the Lord, how a winning culture is a culture of people who choose joy. And I think that some of those same principles that we spoke about then, they apply to our life in regards to gratitude. There's no question that we're in a difficult season, right? Like you don't have to look far to find chaos. And for whatever reason, it seems as though our minds are wired to think negatively. Negativity in our mind are like magnets pulling themselves together. Some of you will remember from the joy message that we talked about what psychologists call negative bias. Anybody remember that? I'm going to give you the definition for those that are not caught up. It says negative bias is our tendency not only to register negative stimuli more readily, but also to dwell on these events In almost any interaction. We are more likely to notice negative things and later remember them more vividly. Have you know? Have you seen that in your own life? You could be somewhere, you're putting on a party or an event, or for us, a church service, and everything goes perfect, but one thing. When you go home, all you think about is just that one thing. That's it. Even though God or whatever, God moved, and all these great things happened, you just focus on this one thing. We, we do things like that all the time. And part of it is because we are, I mean, we, because we're bombarded with negative stimuli daily, uh, our minds naturally gravitate toward and remember the negative things more vividly. and So it's easy for us to begin to think, well, there's really nothing for me to be grateful for. I would venture to say, if I said that to you, almost everyone in the room would disagree with that statement. right? You would say, well, you have all kinds of things to be grateful for. There's lots to be thankful for. You could easily begin to point out things in my life that I have to be grateful for. See, we all know intuitively that there are things in our life to be grateful for, but our actions and our words often say something completely, completely different. So I'm going to give you three things today. Number one, the first thing that we have to do to make room for gratitude is reorder our thoughts. We have to reorder our thoughts. I don't usually preach in a linear fashion where there's one, two, and three. So those of you that are linear thinkers, I don't know, you're like, all right, here we go. Uh, Number one, reorder our thoughts. We have a tendency to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. Anybody? agree with that right that's the part of the negative bias mindset right we naturally focus on the negative this is certainly not something new we see this all throughout scripture all throughout scripture we see this one of the most or i'm going to read a couple of the most famous ones judges chapter 6 verse 12 there's a story of a, of a guy named gideon if you've been around church you've probably heard this story before God is calling Gideon to do something really supernatural. We don't have time to go through the whole story. I just want to read interaction from when God is calling Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? They were, they were being... Uh, all of their crops, everything was being stolen. and They were just under the, the tyranny of, of another of another tribe and another kingdom. And he said, why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Uh, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. He's saying, I hear what you're saying to me, but I still don't believe it. He says, "Please Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. This is a funny passage of Scripture to me. God said, "You're gonna go do this," and Gideon's like, uh, "Part of me, Lord, are you are you sure you got the right guy?" He's like, "Listen, it's you. I go do what I called you to do." And he says, "Part of me, Lord, my clan is the weakest, my whole tri- uh, in the in the whole tribe, and I'm the weakest in my family. Uh, Part of me, Lord, w- would you mind waiting here while I go and get an offering and come back? Can you just wait just a minute? Because I gotta make sure it's really you that's talking to me." And this is the same reply that we see a little bit further over in Scripture when Saul was being uh, anointed as the king from the prophet Samuel. And for, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, Samuel answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? They're focusing on what they do not have. Focusing on the small Elijah, the prophet, the great prophet Elijah, was depressed and he was afraid and, and he was suicidal and, and he met with God. And he's like, I'm the only one left. There's no other prophets but me, which wasn't even true. But he was focused on what he didn't have. Jeremiah, the prophet, when God called him, he responded with, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. And God said, don't say that. You go and do what I tell you to do and say what I tell you to say. Moses, there's almost an entire chapter of dialogue between Moses and God, where God is calling Moses, and Moses is rejecting the call. And you say, but what if, okay, you're, you're telling me that you're sending me to save my people, but what if What if they don't believe me? And what if they don't listen to me? And I'm going to read a little bit of this this interaction in Exodus 4, verse 10. It said, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, same thing he's getting, uh, pardon me. He said, I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. He's, he's at the burning bush, right? This bush is burning. He's like, I wasn't eloquent before you showed up in the bush, and I'm not eloquent now. Like, I don't know. What are you trying to do? I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And in verse, uh, verse 13, he says, but Moses said, Part, pardon your servant, Lord. He's interrupting him again. Please send someone else. <laughs> Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. Look, I know that these passages aren't contextually about gratitude, but the point that I'm trying to make is that we naturally focus on what we do not have. Focusing on what we do not have will take up all of the available space in our life until there's no room for gratitude. It'll take up all the space that we have. So we have to reorder our thoughts or refocus might even be a better word. Stop focusing on what we don't have and focus on what we do have. Which leads us to number two. The second thing that we have to do to make room for gratitude is stop complaining. Stop complaining. We have to focus. When we focus on what we don't have, which is point number one, the natural progression from there is to begin to complain. And the Bible has some very harsh things to say about people who complain. In Numbers chapter 11, this is actually one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. In Numbers chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. The Lord gets angry when we're complaining. It says, Then, then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed And consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. And so that place was called Tibera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Verse 4 says, then the rabble, then the rabble with them began to crave other food. Uh, Other translations or versions call them foreign rabble. I think the New Living Translation says mixed multitude. These people who had these are people who had worked their way into the Israelite camp, but didn't necessarily belong there. The, the definition of rabble, this is not a, sometimes I do the, the you know, Hebrew and Greek, this is not a Hebrew definition, just Merriam-Webster kind of thing. So the definition of rabble is this, the lower classes or the common people. And I want to be careful here because as Christ followers, we're not better than anyone. I mean, the entire premise of our church is God using everyday or common people to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the implication is when God is calling you higher, you have to be careful who you allow into your inner circle. Not everyone who comes alongside of us needs a seat at the table. You can't allow people who don't have the same value, the same calling, the same purpose as you to begin to bring you down. Now, I love this definition. The second definition of rabble is this, a tool or mechanically operated device used for stirring or mixing a charge in a roasting furnace. What does that mean? There are people and there are things in our lives that are constantly stirring the pot. And every time that we start to move forward with joy and peace and gratitude, here comes Sister Ye or Brother Yahoo, as Pastor Kevin Wallace says, and they begin to stir the pot. It says, then the rabble among them began to crave the other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. They said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Dude, you were a slave for 400 years. And now you're wanting to go back to slavery so you can have some fish? We remember we had all of these cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I'm going to skip through a lot of this passage for time's sake. So we're in verse 6. I'm going to drop to verse 10. It's an incredible story. You should certainly, I highly encourage you to read it on, on your own. Verse 10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry. And Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? That you put the burden of all these people on me. That I conceive these people... Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant, as, an, as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, Give us meat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. Right? He's saying, look, if I found favor in your eyes, kill me now because these people are going to be the death of me. <laughs> Skip down a few verses to verse 18. This is what the Lord says. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. And if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. complain, complain. Complain. I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. I used to have this, and I used to have that. And if I could just go back to what I used to have, if I could just go back to how it was in the good old days. Like, I know God brought me out of that abusive relationship, but I'm, I'm tired of being alone. If I could just go back to that, at least I wouldn't be alone. If I could go back to him or her, maybe we could fix things. I know, I know God brought me out of that job that I hated, but the money was just so good. If I could just go back to it. We act like the children of Israel. As we're about to read, it doesn't go very well. He continues, Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. What's he saying? He's like, you're going to eat so much of this meat, you're going to eat it until you puke, and it's going to come straight out your nose. Anybody ever been that sick? You hugging the toilet and pukes coming out of your ears, your nose and every. That's what he's saying. You want me? Here it comes. You're going to get it. You're going to eat it. And not for a day, not for two, not for five, not for 10. But for a whole month, you're going to eat so much of it that you're going to be sick. You're going to throw it up and it's going to come out your nose. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say he's talking to God. That I will give them meat for a whole month, air quotes. Oh. Would they have enough flocks and herds if the herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up in two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. That's three feet tall. All, all day, all that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. They spread them out around all the camp. But while the meat was still being, uh, between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. And therefore, the place was called Kibroth Hadaavah because there were because there they were buried, and the people who had. I'm sorry, because there they buried the people who had craved the other food. Look, this pattern continues over and over again until their complaining finally pushes God over the edge and they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Complaining will delay your destiny. It will destroy the gratitude that's trying to come alive inside of your heart and it will push, it'll push it completely out of your life. All right, so we talked about reordering our thoughts. We have to stop focusing on what we don't have. We have to. St- we talked about stop complaining, because God hates complaining. The third thing we have to do is to make to make room for gratitude, is to remove the things that are stealing our gratitude. Amen. You got to remove those things. Like I'm not going to spend a lot of time at this point. Everyone, most of the people in the room can quote John 10:10 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. Satan is a thief and a liar, and he will rob you of anything that you are willing to give up, including your gratitude. He will bring negative thoughts to your mind, and when we begin to believe these lies, consciously or subconsciously, they form what are called ungodly beliefs. Some of you will remember that language from a series that we did last year, but for those who are unfamiliar with the term, let me give you this definition. An ungodly belief is anything that you believe which is not in agreement with God's Word, His nature, or His character. So when I say that we must get rid of the things that are stealing our gratitude, one of the primary things that must be dealt with are these ungodly beliefs in our mind. And I don't have much time to go deeper on this topic, but let me give you some examples of ungodly beliefs that I've dealt with. And maybe you can relate to some of these, or maybe it will at least just give you a reference point for what an ungodly belief is. So these are some things that I've dealt with, put put under the blood, and and I I know that these are lies from Satan because they are in in complete disagreement with God's Word, His nature, and His character. So number one, something is wrong with me. If you knew me, if you knew the real me, you'd reject me. I'm not worthy to receive anything from God. My feelings don't count because no one cares how I feel. I can't trust God or feel secure with Him. I'm trapped and there's no way out. I've wasted a lot of time and energy and my best years. Or God has let me down before and He may do it again. These are all examples of ungodly beliefs. See, when we allow thoughts like this that are contrary to God's word, His nature, or character to take root in our lives, it will rob us of our gratitude. It will rob us of our joy. It will rob us of our peace, of our destiny, of our purpose. I came across this verse this week in my devotions, Genesis twenty-seven forty. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. And again, it's just a great story. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but Jacob and Esau were twin, twin brothers. Jacob had stolen his birthright and then had stolen, had just, before we read this verse, had just stolen the blessing from his father, Isaac. Isaac was about to die. And Isaac said to Esau, hey, go out. He's, Esau was a hunter. He said, go out, find some, some of my favorite food, cook this for me. And then before I die, I'm going to give you my blessing. Which was a big deal in in this culture, and then Jacob and his mom—really, it was Jacob's mom—they come up with this plan. Jacob sneaks in, steals the blessing because Isaac was blind, um, and it's just this big thing erupted between Jacob and Esau. And so, in, but in Genesis 27:40, Esau is, is is saying to his dad, "Please, I—you—you I, you gave the blessing to the wrong person," and Jacob's going, "I." I I mean, Isaac's going, I already gave the blessing to your little brother. Like, there's nothing I can do. I've already spoken it. It is what it is. I can't take it back. And Esau's going, please, please bless me too. But really, Isaac couldn't. And so he tells him, this is the end of the proclamation that he gave him. Genesis 27, 40, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But I love this part. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck, from off your neck. I think a lot of times that we tolerate things that are robbing us of our joy, peace and gratitude. Until we come to a place of internal reckoning, this place of I've had enough, those things will continue to rob us of everything good in our lives. When you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. We've all had we've all we've all experienced that either personally or certainly seen it in other people's lives. You can't if someone's who, someone who's addicted, is not, it doesn't matter what you do until they're ready, until they come to that place, until they're done, they're not, it doesn't matter what you say to them. There's no healing going to come until they're ready. Until they grow restless enough to throw the yoke off their neck, freedom doesn't come. Until you grow tired of it enough, until you grow tired of being physically, however, you know, if you're out of shape and you're trying to, until you get tired of that and, you know, so tired of it, you can't deal with it anymore. Until you come to that place, you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's what, that's what this verse is saying. Until you grow restless enough to throw his yoke off your neck, you're going you're to serve him. See, these ungodly beliefs and these things that are robbing and stealing us of our gratitude, they're taking, they're taking up all the space until you get tired of it. It's going to continue to rob you. God is inviting us to throw the yoke of the enemy off of our neck. And maybe you're saying, look, don't you think you're taking this too far? Is gratitude really that big deal? I mean, does it really matter that much if I say thank you? (laughs) First of all, gratitude is more than saying thanks. It's a way of seeing the world. Secondly, the science behind gratitude and what it does for our lives is mind-blowing. I'm gonna read just some medical stuff. Um, I, I think sometimes the church stays away from science because it feels like it's, it feels like science is competing against the church to disprove God. But really, all science does is is reveal who God is. Um, okay, let me read this. The limbic system is the part of the brain that is responsible for all emotional experiences. It consists of A bunch of medical words I'm not gonna try Uh, (laughs) studies have shown that the hippocampus and the amygdala the two main sites regulating emotions memory and bodily functioning get activated with feelings of gratitude all right so studies have shown this is scientific stuff right that the two main things inside of our body that regulate our emotions our memory our bodily functioning they get activated with feelings of gratitude Consistent evidence has established that what we call emotions or feelings are neural activations of the neocortical regions of the brain. A study conducted on individuals seeking mental health guidance revealed that participants of the group who wrote letters of gratitude besides their regular counseling sessions felt better and recovered sooner. The other group in the study that were asked Uh, to journal their negative experiences, instead of writing gratitude letters, they reported feelings of anxiety and depression. Isn't that crazy? Some of you just took a nap, I understand. Uh, I'm going to read a few more things. The Mindfulness Awareness Research Center of UCLA stated that gratitude does, it changes the neural structures in the brain. Gratitude changes the neural structures in your brain, and it makes us feel happier and more content. How many of you would like to be happier? How many of you like to be more content? I love that science proves what God says is right. God says, don't complain. Paul says, give thanks all of the time. Have a heart of gratitude. And science comes along and says, hey, if we have gratitude, it'll actually change your brain. Listen to what Emily Fletcher, the founder of Ziva, a well-known meditation training site, uh, she mentioned in one of her public publications. Gratitude as, it, as a natural antidepressant. The effects of gratitude when practiced daily can, all, uh, can be almost the same as medications. It produces a feeling of long-lasting happiness and contentment, the psychological basis of which lies at the neurotransmitter level. When we express gratitude and receive the same, our brain releases dopamine and serotonin, the two uh, crucial neurotransmitters responsible for our emotions. They, they are the make us feel good emotions. They enhance our mood immediately, making us feel happy from the inside. By consciously practicing gratitude every day, we can help these neural pathways to strengthen themselves and ultimately create a permanent, grateful, and positive nature within ourselves. Some of you are like, I, don't, I, didn't, come, I didn't come to church for this. <laughs> this is amazing to me. Don't tell me gratitude isn't important. Listen to just a few more scientific findings regarding gratitude. All right. Number one, gratitude releases toxic emotions. Amen. Gratitude releases physical or reduces physical pain. Gratitude increases sleep quality. Gratitude aids in stress regulation. Uh, significant studies over the years have established the fact that by practicing gratitude, we handle stress better than others. By merely acknowledging and appreciating the little things in life, we can rewire the brain to deal with the present circumstances and have more awareness and broader perception. Number five, gratitude reduces anxiety and stress. But the opposite is also true. A person who worries too much about the adverse outcomes will subconsciously rewire his brain to process negative information only. Remember, negative bias. By consciously practicing gratitude, we can train the brain to attend selectively to the positive emotions and thoughts, thus reducing anxiety and feelings of apprehension. Did, how many of you knew that gratitude was so scientific? <laughs> Only our medical people. <laughs> I had no idea. Zero. Zero. When I began preparing this, uh, the notes, and I was just kind of studying, getting ready for this, I'd written in my journal about my week. My schedule was off. Um, I didn't get to run. I didn't make great choices with food. I wasn't drinking water. And in my journal, I was complaining. And uh, there is a proper way to complain, by the way. David said in Psalm 142, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. All right, but that's what I was doing in my journal. I was asking for forgiveness for things, you know. I was just like, God, just help me. Just writing my prayer out. And then I'm studying for this passage. And I come across all this neurological stuff, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I got my journal back out. I was like, I'm thankful for air conditioning. I'm thankful, <laughs> <laughs> thankful for this beautiful day. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm just writing a list. I was like, I'm rewiring my brain right now. I'm not ending my day on this. <laughs> The effects of practicing gratitude are not immediate and they don't appear magically. But once started gratitude, it continues to impact our physical and psychological well-being for years. A lot of people think that they'd be happier, that if they were happier, they'd have more gratitude. But the truth is, it's not happiness that brings gratitude. It's gratitude that brings happiness. if we will reorder our thoughts to focus on what we have instead of what we don't have, if we'll just stop complaining, and if we will remove the negative patterns of thinking, we refer to them as ungodly beliefs, our lives will change spiritually because of our obedience to God. And they will change emotionally and physically as has been proven scientifically let's make room for gratitude Um, during the joy and peace uh, messages in our winning culture uh, some of you were here and you will remember we talked about first 15 last 15 Um, and if you're not familiar with that basically it was just taking the first 15 minutes of your day and there was a list of things that I gave of, of, of how you can set your day up for success it was the last 15, what do you do? One of the things inside of that was was about gratitude. Because I didn't know, you know, eight weeks later, I was going to be speaking on gratitude. But unintentionally and unrelated to this message, the thing that I chose out of that list that I gave, the first 15, last 15, was gratitude. Again, not knowing that this was scientific as much as spiritual, that's what I began to focus on. And I can tell you that I've walked this out over the last couple of months unintentionally, again, in regards to the message. Just by choosing gratitude. And now that I have this other information, I mean, Katie and I are like, appreciate you, babe. you are grateful for you, babe. <laughs> it's like, we're gonna rewire our brains. And I'm gonna be grateful. I'm gonna put out all of the garbage that's trying to. And we all do it, it's so easy. One of the things that we've done, one of the things that we've cut out. Uh, As a couple weeks ago, I cut out social media off my phone. So if I haven't liked your boasts or told you happy birthday, I'm sorry, uh, but I haven't been on social media. And my screen time went from astronomical embarrassing to now consistently under two hours a day, or under three hours a day. Uh, FOMO, Anybody know what FOMO is? FOMO's real. Like it took me five to seven days after I took it off my phone to just settle down. Everybody's on their phone at the house, you know, the older kids are over, they're out playing games and doing whatever and TikTok and all the stuff. And I'm just like I, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like, and it did, it honestly took me. If you if you spend a lot of time on your phone and you take this off your phone, it'll it'll mess with you for a few days. I think I was having withdrawals, like it was coming off a of drug. I, it was crazy. But after that seven day mark, I started losing my phone. I was having to use my watch and say, hey, find my phone. I didn't didn't know where I left it, because I wasn't on it. I didn't have it attached to me. It wasn't part of my body anymore. And I was like, I don't even know where my phone is. But I can tell you, and I'm not saying I'm never going back to social media. I mean, I still get on my computer sometimes or whatever, but I'm not saying I'll never put it back on my phone, but I'm saying for the season that I'm in, I'm having to remove that to make room for other things that I want in my life. I'm not telling you to do that. If you want to, great, but I'm just using that as an example of something that you, I'm removing to make room for other things. What is it in your life that's detracting from your, from your gratitude? I don't think of gratitude. I, just, I never heard a sermon where, the, where they, they told me that being grateful would rewire my brain. That, this, this message impacted my life. I don't know if it impacted yours that way, but I'm going to be more grateful. I mean, it should be enough that the Bible says be grateful, we should be grateful. But like, there's scientific. You can rewire your brain today by being more grateful. You're sad. We're depressed. We have anxiety. We have all of this stuff going on around us. Be more grateful. Grateful is the end. These scientists are saying being more grateful is the same as taking medication. What in the world? (laughs) All right, I'm done yelling. (laughs) Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all that we have. Thank you for church, thank you for family, thank you for Thank you for these amazing seats that we're sitting on. Thank you for air conditioning. That's not on right now, but I'm still I'm burning up. But thank you when I walk outside, the weather's going to be amazing. Thank you for the sun. Thank you God for our wives and our children. Thank you for health. God, thank you for the little things. Thank you for our cars. Thank you for money to put gas in our cars. Thank you for our jobs. God, help us to focus on all that you've given us. Everything, God, every moment that we have. God, is a blessing from you. God, make us aware of your presence in everywhere, every place that we go, everything that we do. Make us aware that you are surrounding us constantly. God, we know that your tangible presence is real because we've felt it in this room today. But make us aware, God, of your omnipresence, that you are everywhere all the time, that we would acknowledge you and see you in everything that we do. God, in the tree and in the clouds and in the blue skies and in the green grass and in everything that happens, that we would sense you and know that you are there and we would live a life of gratitude. Help us, God, to push out the things that are stealing our gratitude, to come against the ungodly beliefs, God, that are lying to us, telling us that we're not good enough, that we're never going to make it, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not talented enough, that we don't have enough money, that we can't be all that you've called us to be. God, I thank you that we are sons and we are daughters of the Most High God. God, we thank you today. Grateful, we are grateful, God. Help us to express our gratitude to you and to those around us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.